So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say for anybody who's looking to do what, what we've done, um, do you need to, to pay, you know, $25,000, $35,000 for a coaching program? No. Um, but what you need to do is get around other people who are doing what you want to do. And that's, that's really the crux of it, is getting around those other people who are successful, learning from them, and as you recently learned, potentially partnering with them. You're listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast. We're not here to bruise your bananas with guru sales pitches, overrated fluff, or any other kind of monkey business. We simply provide the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. All right, today's guest is Brian Briscoe, an active-duty Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel who's getting ready to retire this year. He is with Four Oaks Capital, currently have 485 units assets under management, and they're under contract for another 144 units. Brian's also the podcast host of Diary of an Apartment Investor, and additionally, the director of the Tribe of Titans multifamily educational community. Brian got his start in single family houses and quickly after a mentoring session, uh, broke through and jumped right into syndication. So Brian, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate your time and thanks for having me. Yeah, man, no problem. So uh, I was actually, me and you met because I was on your podcast uh, yep. and and I like the way that you put your podcast together because you introduced me organically to my first mentor who kind of yep. broke me into syndication. So first off, thanks for that. I appreciate it. But, yeah, no uh, problem. Not a problem. Let's talk about like, oh, you know, you, you started out in single family and then quickly mm -hmm. uh, got into syndications. If you kind of tell us what was the change that you went through, yeah. why you got into syndication, why multifamily, and then where you're at today. Yeah, I mean, so I, I've been active duty for, for roughly 20 years now. And, you know, the single family houses were intentional. You know, you buy a place when you get transferred, you live in it for a couple of years. And when you leave, you turn it into a rental. You know, so that was that was our plan. You know, I figured, hey, if I'm going to do this military thing for 20 years, um, and incidentally, I've moved 10 times out of the last 20. And, and Ramsey, I'm sure you understand that lifestyle. But, uh, um, you know, the idea was, hey, if I'm doing this for 20 years, at the end of 20 years, I should have, you know, eight or 10 rental houses that uh, um, that are cash flowing, that are appreciating and everything else. Um, turns out that a lot of the duty stations I went to just, you know, weren't quite going to work with that. You know, I've, I've been to a couple of places in California where you can't you can't buy something that you'd want to live in that will actually cash flow as a rental. So, you know, long story short, you know, we started trying to do that, didn't work everywhere. And we ended up with three, you know, and, and when I, when I got to the point to where I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, um, you know, military, you, you, you're eligible to retire when you hit your 20 year mark and there's zero retirement benefits prior to that. So, you're right around my 16 year mark. I started looking at it, seeing that light at the end of the tunnel. I'm like, I've got one more move and I can, I can punch, I can retire. So the real estate thing had always fascinated me. Um, I knew I wanted to do something in real estate post Marine Corps, um, but didn't know what. So I started researching options and fortunately came across multifamily, you know, read, read a couple of books on apartments started devouring podcasts and just as much content as I could. And like you said, I got into a mentorship program, but 
you know, the, the reason I did it was to be able to um, close the gap between what I'm earning now as an active duty service member and what I'm going to be earning as a retired service member because our, our pensions are going to be about 30 to 40% of our active duty pay. So I just needed to bridge that gap and syndication was, was the way that, uh, that I decided to do it. But, uh, you know, I like apartments for many reasons. People have to live somewhere. It's a, it's a basic human need. And, uh, you know, the apartment market is, it appreciates. It's something where you can put money in and count on leverage um, to, to be able to um, produce really solid returns over time. Which, uh, which mentoring program did you go with, Ryan? Well, I went with a Michael Blanc program. How'd you like it? You know, um, we've got almost 500 units right now. So, you know, it, <laughs> it, it definitely worked. I, I would say I had a good experience, but I think that there's a lot of people in every mentorship program who, who jump in and think the mentorship program is going to change them. And, and, and the truth is, you know, the mentor is just a guide. And they're going to focus your energy, but it's still your energy that's producing results, you know. So I, I would say that more than anything, it accelerated what I was going to do anyway. I think that's really how you have to look at it if you're considering mentorship is, you know, if you're not the type of person who's going to do it anyway and work hard until you're successful, then save your money because the mentorship's not going to change that. Yeah. At any time I've mentored anyone in the military and real estate, I have a little mm-hmm. saying, I said, I'd much rather have to pump the brakes than hit the gas on somebody. And I think yeah. if you are the person who, who could really use a mentor, it's, you need to be somebody who the mentor has to pump the brakes and, and help you steer rather than hit the gas. Yeah. If, they, if, you're, if you're planning on a mentor, like pushing you along, <laughs> it's not going to happen. You got to already have, no. but I know what you're talking about uh, specifically with, I call it the military bread trail where mm-hmm. you buy a house, you move, you rent out. Now you're naturally a landlord. You buy another one. Now you're a multi, you yep. got a couple investments. Uh, but whenever you went to that mentoring program, obviously still active duty, did you mm-hmm. have a team already built uh, for syndications or was that kind of the program that, that led you into Four Oaks Capital? That was the program that led me into Four Oaks, really. And I mean, there, there's nothing magical about the mentorship program. It wasn't like, hey, you know, pay, pay X amount of dollars and you're going to end up on the back end with a team and a deal and everything else. You know, I, I think it was just the, the network that, you know, Michael Blanc attracts, you know, so he's got... He's got a lot of people in his coaching program and a lot of people who are um, not in the coaching program, but are in his, his networks. So um, I met one of my partners in, you know, M- Michael for all of his coaching students and for, um, you know, people in his group has a networking group, essentially. That, that's all it is, is a networking group. And I met Eric Shirley through that group. Eric wasn't a coaching student. Um, at the time, he called himself anti-coaching. You know, he was kind of the, I don't need to pay somebody $30,000 to figure out how to do this. I can I can pick it up myself. But, uh, and I think the proof's in the pudding. You know, we're, we're both at the same level right now. I went through coaching, he didn't. But, uh, you know, end of the day, you know, he, he put in a little bit more work than I did. I probably had a little more guidance than he did is kind of how that works. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would say for anybody who's looking to do what, what we've done, 
Um, do you need to, to pay, you know, 25, 30, $35,000 for a coaching program? No. Um, but what you need to do is get around other people who are doing what you want to do. And that's, that's really the crux of it is getting around those other people who are successful, learning from them. And as you recently learned, potentially partnering with them. So that's, that's, that's really, I think what it'll take. How do people trying to tap into this? What what's the best advice that you have for how do they attract a, a relationship with you? You know, you've you've got to add value, and I mean, it's 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 a term that I think gets overused and watered down. But you really have to find a way to add value. You know, so if if you're trying to, you know, attract an experienced partner, you know, there, there's a couple of things that'll do it. All right, most. Most people with experience, there's two things, deals or money, okay? Bring them a deal or bring them money. And, you know, nine times out of 10, that's going to get you into a general partnership, you know? So, you know, there's other couple of small things that might be able to do it. You know, for example, if if someone's trying to get, you know, a multi-million dollar loan, lenders want somebody to be, you know, part of the GP to be, you know, a lot of people call it boots on the ground, you know? Um, So, you know, there, there is a chance that, you know, if you live in a really hot market and there's a group who has zero presence in that hot market, there's also the chance that you can be their boots on the ground. But, you know, realistically, you know, they, they probably have dozens and dozens of people to choose from as boots on the ground. You probably want to lean towards something else, you know, where you can also bring capital or potentially help them find the deals. So really end of the day, I mean, this, this world moves by, the multifamily world, you either, you're either finding deals and bringing deals to the table or you're finding capital and bringing capital to the table. And those are the, those are the two big drivers. Yeah. And I, I'll say that there's, there's been quite a, a few people, and I'm sure with you as well, that have, have reached out to me and been like, hey, man, mm-hmm. I want to get into real estate. Can you teach me about real estate? And I'm like, I mean, I can. Yeah, I can. But I have, I have a filtration process. If they have not read a book you know, I've got like five books and I'll ask them if they've read these. And the moment I hear that, no, they haven't read that book. I'll send them an e-copy of that book and tell them to get back with me in like two weeks. And if they don't mm-hmm. get back with me, then I know that they weren't serious. Right. But there's been a couple of people who have gotten back with me. And those people are now part of my life, deeply in part, like partners with me. Uh, there was another another guy recently who uh, approached me and wanted to get him and he's a super young guy he's active in the military wanted to get into um to large apartment investing and stuff and he is now going to be the guy who screens all of our podcasts gets us on podcasts gets other people onto our podcasts and that saves me time so that to me is the third yes. element deals money Huge. or save me time and if you can save me time and you mm-hmm. get to learn along the way then then that's a that's a you know that's a good relationship. It's not just a, a you know, a, a win lose relationship. So, so I'm, I'm curious now, what book do you send everybody? Usually it's rich dad, poor dad, because I can't even have a conversation with them if they haven't <laughs> read that. But yeah. the majority of people will, ha- will have read that. And then I'll ask mm-hmm. them like, what, you know, what, what do you think your problem is why you haven't got into real estate yet? And if they tell me mm-hmm. it's because they don't, haven't set their goals, I'll send them the one thing by Gary Keller. Mm-hmm. If it's because they don't feel like they have enough time, I'll send them four hour work week. So it just kind of depends on mm-hmm. where, where I go from there. But it's always rich dad, poor dad, right off the bat. 
if you haven't yep. read that you gotta you gotta meet we gotta be on the same plane on how we look at money so yeah you know interesting that that is the book that comes up most frequently on my podcast um, i recorded four episodes yesterday and that book came up four times <laughs> actually more than four times because you know most of my episodes have two different guests on there but every single episode of the podcast that yesterday that book comes up so i mean it's uh it's one that a lot of people, you know, who are doing what we do, you know, it's changed a lot of lives. You know, it made me exactly what you said, rethink money, you know, and it changed how I looked at money. And, you know, now, now I'm in a race to accumulate assets instead of trying to, you know, look at that promotion chart or that pay chart that, uh, you know, any military member has seen dozens of times, you know, now instead of looking at that pay chart and saying, man, next promotion, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be making so much more money. I'm going to be so much happier. You know, that's just not, not how it works. And the so. word so much more money is, is, is a very good <laughs> word to use in government job. Well, you talked, you oh. talked about your, uh, your race to acquiring assets, right? So you mentioned that once you hit the 16 year mark, in the military, mm -hmm. that's when you kind of started. To, and I and I'm there. I'm I hit 16 yep. in a couple of months, and I'm the same exact boat. Retirement's coming up. Re retiring from the military looks a lot like getting another 20 year job, unless you do something about it. But yeah. I know that there's a lot of people out there who are in a 20 year career job, first responder, military, teacher, whatever it may be, who are looking to not have to do that again when they retire. So how mm -hmm. did you like, did you do a, a certain calculation or set a goal? I need to have this much income before I get out and put together a plan. Like, how are, how are you looking at that? You know, I, I looked at my current pay, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's a certain amount and, you know, you, you've got to be familiar with how the retirement system works. We get 50% of our base pay. So, you know, strip the housing allowance off the, the BAS, all the other, you know, lines of pay, the special pays that, that I get. And I looked at my basic pay amount and said, okay, I'm going to be living off of 50% of that, you know, and I just looked at the Delta. I looked at what I'm making now versus what my retirement pay is going to be and realized that I had, you know, a gap to fill. And so that's really what I focused on was the gap. Um, can we live off of less money than I make now? Absolutely. Um, you know, and so I, I kind of, I picked a number and said, this is how much I think we're going to need on a consistent basis to, to be able to live the same lifestyle that we're living, you know? And so that was my focus. My focus was to bridge the gap at first. Um, you know, of course there's, there's further goals along, but, uh, you know, at, at my, roughly my 17 year mark, you know, my goal ended up being, okay, I'm going to use every available, you know, minute of my time to be able to close that gap, you know, and, and, uh, um, it's, it's still, you know, we're, we're still in the process of doing that. You know, I, I've made enough money in the last couple of years to, you know, create an emergency fund and, you know, I can cover my living expenses for at least a year, you know? So, so for now it's just, let's keep on, let's keep on moving that, you know, kicking that can down the road, you know? So, um, are, are we, are we consistently making that much money every year that covers the gap? Um, year last year, yes. This year, not yet is, is the answer. But uh, um, it's June, July. It's July now, so we still got time. But that's that's really what I was focusing on is 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 the gap. And um, 
you know, there, there's no magic number. I mean, we, we started out with a number, Hey, if we have this many, this many doors and this much money coming off of each door, you know, we'll be able to, to live off of that. But, uh, um, you know, we're still, we're still probably a year or two away from, you know, achieving the point to where, you know, we can live off the, um, the income off the properties, you know, right now we're, we're going from acquisition fee to acquisition fee, you know, we're going from, you know, we usually keep 20 to 25% ownership in each one of the properties. And so, you know, we're looking at selling our first property later this year, which will, um, which will definitely help. So that, that's essentially where we're at right now. You know, it's, um, you know, looking at the properties that we own and the timelines that were the time horizons for the investment opportunities, I have a very clear path to where I want to get, you know, so, um, you know, as long as, you know, properties are able to sell for what we think we can, we can sell them for, um, you know, I've got, a, like I said, a very clear path to be able to hit, hit those income numbers. Yeah. And so I, I used to, it, the calculations were fairly easy whenever I first started, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I was like, I want to make $20,000 a year or a month and pass shit a year. <laughs> I want to make yeah. $20,000 a month and in passive income to, to, to be yeah. like, and I'll, I'll be retired. I don't need any more than that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of simple. You know, you could deal by deal when you're doing it yourself, you know, exactly what your numbers are looking like and kind of by mm-hmm. door how many, but when you're doing syndications, it, the calculations are a lot more difficult to, because uh, yeah. you know, much of it is projection off market. Uh, valuations. The yeah. cash flow is getting split a lot more with your partners and uh, the the investment team. So whenever you first started getting into syndications, so we we're talking earlier, you said you spun your wheels for six to eight months. How did you get through mm-hmm. that? Uh, just basically working six to eight months. You have this plan for retirement. You can kind of see the the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel and you you know what you need to make. What did you have to to do to get that first deal done to tap into syndications? Yeah, great, great question. I mean, I think what what you need to do is become a viable buyer is what it is, you know, and you have to be able to portray yourself to the the broker and the seller as a viable buyer. And the reason I spun my wheels was because I was not a viable buyer. You know, there there's there are certain things that I was just ignorant of, like in order to get a loan from a bank on a commercial property, you've got to have net worth greater than or equal to the property value, right? Or actually the loan value. So 80% of the property property value um, is what your net worth needs to be. I didn't have that. You know, you have to have, you know, six to 12 months of liquidity, depending on which bank and which lending program. And, you know, there's a, other, a lot of other requirements that you need just to be able to get a commercial loan. And brokers and sellers all know what those requirements are. Sellers know them because they've had to get over that hurdle before. And brokers know them because they're they're the ones that are screening, you know, potential buyers out of out of uh, what what comes through the the gate. So really, I was spinning my wheels because I didn't meet the minimum requirements required of somebody to purchase an apartment complex. And it wasn't really until you know, I met early Eric Shirley when I, you know, and then Eric introduced me to Brian Mallon and he actually introduced me to the other Todd Butler as well. So he, he introduced me to the other partners 
it wasn't until the four of us came together, we combined our balance sheet, we combined our liquidity, you know, where we were actually viable as, as buyers, you know, and that, that made the big difference was once we had a team together, you know, the only thing we lacked between the four of us was experience because that's, that's the other big thing that lenders are looking for is experience. So, you know, the four of us came together around one deal. We knew we needed an experienced partner. And so we started shopping, shopping for somebody who would partner with us on the deal. And like I said earlier, you either bring people deals or you bring people the money. And in this case, you know, we brought an experienced investor a deal and just said, hey, look, you know, if if you'll co-sponsor this with us, you know, we're going to give you, you know, X percent of the general partnership, which includes, you know, a percentage of the acquisition fee and and you know, incomes and everything else. So, you know, and end of the day, that's that's really when we started getting traction is when brokers saw not just me, but they saw us. And when they looked at us, we collectively were viable buyer. And when it was just Brian Briscoe calling brokers, hmm. you know, it was like, hey man, I, I feel for you. Thank you for your service. But <laughs> yeah. I mean you're not yeah 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 i'll i'll show you a six hundred thousand dollar property yeah because that's what you can buy you know i was getting that more than anything else so yeah that that was the wheel spinning and and the only way to get traction is to you know work on yourself work on making yourself a viable buyer and in my case it was it was through partnership I'm glad you said that because I get asked all the time, people like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? It's the, the age old question is, is do, you, do you buy a deal with money you don't have or do you raise money for a deal you don't have? And, and my answer is relationships come first every single time, right? Mm-hmm. I learned that from Charles uh, Seaman from your podcast and it just, it, it didn't stick with me until realize exactly what you're saying. I think all new syndicators are going to go into this industry thinking I'm going to be the main guy, my team, we're all going to do this. We're going to make every decision. Uh, and, and that may well happen if you happen to put together the team all at once, but you can't bring on an experienced investor unless that person's already got experience and typically Mm -hmm. they're sewed into another team already. So, uh, that's exactly what we did. We didn't, uh, we, you know, once I started putting equity in relationships with other syndicators and started putting relationships in with brokers and, te- you know, just being honest about what we were able to do, we really started to see the traction move and then bam, we were ready to pounce on our first syndication. And, and like you said, it took us six to eight months, I think six to eight months is that, that yeah. once you get serious about it, I mean, really serious about it meaning that you already have your website, you already have your professional photos, you've got mm-hmm. your signature in your email, you've got your bio and your headshot, you're reaching out, you're posting on social media. That's all That's all starting the car. You're not driving until you actually reach out and make that that relationship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Six to and eight I, months kind of seems like the the time frame. It really does. Yeah. So I, I would say everything that you listed was our, our helpful items, you know, but Long term, that doesn't it doesn't move the needle a whole lot. You know, um, you're going to get some brokers aren't going to give you a second look if you're sending them an email from you know Brian Briscoe at gmail.com. Yeah, you know they're going to look at that and they're going to be like, all right, you know. So that stuff's important, but you know what it really takes to be the viable buyer 
is a little more than that. So, you know, if I, if I had to go over and do it again, we didn't have a website when we got our first property under contract. Um, you know, I created a domain of my own, you know, it cost 12 bucks on Google. Incidentally, I spelled the word capital wrong on my domain. So nobody <laughs> could ever email me. Um, but, uh, you know, I told everyone what my email address was and, you know, I kept on getting these, Hey, my emails are bouncing back, but, uh, those, those are definitely helpful and I'd recommend them. But, uh, um, what, what I'd also say is, you know, that focus on the things that, that move the needle too. you know, um, nice to have a business card, you know, it's really nice to have the business card. It's really nice to have that website and, you know, some brokers are going to check that stuff, but, uh, um, you know, our website, our website launched when we were probably, you know, three months into our, our first deal. So it's, it's nice, but, uh, yeah, it's- nice, but not necessary, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think for us, our presence, like we kind of had it in our head, like, hey, in order for us to be out there and put the word out, we need to look like it. for people to take us seriously, we need to look serious. And so, I mean, really, it's not a whole lot of like money. It is a lot yeah. of work to get your business structure built out. You know, your lo- I think this logo behind me costs fifty bucks on Fiverr. Uh, all of those things are good for people to take you seriously, especially if you haven't done anything. But at the end of the day, they're not going to take you seriously if your if your balance sheet or if your schedule of real uh, schedule of real estate doesn't add up for what the deal is. But it it definitely at least allows you to get attra- attract relationships for people. It's it you don't look so much like a looky loo, um, mm-hmm. and and I have a lot of looky loos that reach out to me. Hey man, you know I'm I, I, they'll send me a deal on LoopNet. You know it's like. Yeah. I know what you're doing. I used to do it too. I used to just sit there and look on LoopNet until something reasonable came around. But have you called the broker? Have you actually established a relationship? Are you talking to the bank? Are you just sending me this deal because you think it's interesting or are you interested in it? Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. there's uh, different levels of, of, of seriousness to it. I do, I do believe, but anyways, yeah. well, that, that, that'll, that'll lead me into the next question, Brian, which I ask everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you may have just answered it, but, uh, what really bruises your bananas in real estate? And what I mean by that is, is what's the mm-hmm. biggest lie told into real estate right now? And, and, and how can you help clear that up? Oh, geez. There's, there's a lot of lies. Um, you know, one of them that, that kind of frustrates me is the, the preferred returns. You know, everybody does this, but you know, if, if you're doing a heavy value add, um, you're not going to pay preferred. I mean, you're not going to hit your preferred returns, you know, and that's, that's just what it is. And there's, there's a lot of operators who will say that they're doing preferred returns. So they say, Hey, we're, we're going to pay out an 8% preferred return and they raise several million dollars. But one thing a lot of them do is they over raise and the return that they're paying out is money that they've over raised, you know? So that, that's one of those things that. You know, you got to look at if you're doing a heavy value add, there's not going to be cash flow year one or not a whole lot of cash flow year one. There's not going to be a whole lot of cash flow even year two because, you know, the operator is spending a lot of time, you know, churning the tenant base over. Um, usually, if you're buying a value add property and you're increasing, you're making it better, um, there's a certain percentage of the tenant base that you're going to end up, you know, basically refreshing for, for lack of a better term. And, your occupancy is going to be lower. Your expenses are going to be higher. Um, you're not going to be getting the performer rents for one to two years in the entire complex. So 
there's not money coming in to pay that prep. So, you know, if, if you're a if you're a passive investor looking at deals and somebody's got this great value add property that's going to pay an eight or a 10 pref, you might want to double check their numbers because more, more than likely what they're doing is they're giving your you you your own money back, calling it a preferred return, and then hoping that everything works out when they sell at the end. I, I think that's one of the bigger lies that I've seen. And you know, trying to compete against that is difficult. Um, you know, we we don't we do you know value adds where we're consistently putting ten to twenty thousand dollars a door into each one of the properties. And because of that reason, we just don't offer press because we know in year one we're not going to pay it. You know, we know that in year two, we might hit our press and we don't want to be, you know, behind on, on payments starting out. And we know that if we're doing heavy value ads, we're not going to hit those numbers year one, usually until about second year. Is there a way to structure a deal to where your pref doesn't start until construction's complete? There, I mean, there, there is, I mean, it just depends on. There, there's million, there's as many ways to structure deals as you can get creative. But uh, you know, for example, I, I invested passively in, the, in a development that's given me a preferred return. And in that particular development, you know, I money start, the prep starts accruing, you know, day one. But it's not until it's developed and sold that I'll actually get that money back. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where if you're looking at the preferred return and you're thinking. You know, I'm going to be getting that as cash flow. If it's a heavy value add, you're not going to be getting that as cash flow. And if you are, like I said, it's it's your own money coming back to you. But I have seen deals where press start at you know year one or year two. Um, it really depends on how the operator wants to set it up, and you know what uh, what their investors are looking for. But you know, come to think of it, that's, that's a it, it's it's a good idea to do something like that if you're doing a heavy value add where Hey, year one, year two, you know, you're going to get, you know, investors are going to get 75% of the cash flow. It's a straight split, you know, and then starting year three, once our value adds complete, we're going to start paying a six or an eight pref. And I, I think that's a, that's a fair way to structure it. Awesome, Brian. I appreciate that answer, man. So how, how can our listeners get a hold to you? Where can they find out more information about you? So easiest place, you know, we, we've got a couple of web, websites, um, you know, fouroakscapital.com. If is more it's more oriented towards the people who want to invest. Um, the tribe of titans.info is, is another one that's more that's aimed at our multifamily educational community. You know, we're we're trying to create the type of community that brought four oaks together, um, you know, centered around education, but we're really looking for that community. So the tribe of titans.info and the podcast, Diary of an Apartment Investor. And we also have a podcast website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com. So those are the easiest ways. And I guess I'll give my email out to Brian Briscoe at fouroakscapital.com. Absolutely, Brian. I, I I actually really enjoy your podcast. There's a spe- specific episode was this guy, Ramsey Blankenship, comes on as a newbie. Oh, That's probably yes. the best one in your arsenal. I'd have to go and plug that one. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Tell you what. We 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 cycle one back to the front. We have a throwback Thursday every week, and we bring one from the archives back up. When this podcast episode airs, I'll, I'll cycle that back up, and it'll be my throwback Thursday for the week. So, you know, let me know when this is going to air, and uh, you know, people can can hit my podcast up, and this ep- your episode will be right up at the top. Sounds good, Brian. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, brother, and uh, come back anytime. 
Absolutely. And I, I got to have you back on my, my podcast. We started the first deal episodes and you know, you're in now. So let's, let's do it. All right, man. Thanks. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast, where we give you the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. Learn more at realfocus.org slash gorillastatepod.